Ron DeSantis. And Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war in two, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done in society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook, our Thursday show, our sports edition. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus, and man, I don't know if we picked a great time to do it, Scott. There was a lot going on in the world of sports this last couple of weeks. Yeah, and a lot going on in our personal lives in the sports, you know, thing. I had the family golfathon, which, you know, of course we're going to bring up. And I know uh, Tim is, uh, has, you know, has his weekly league. Plus, you know, it sounds like uh, somebody's recruited him to uh, to help out their scramble team. There is going to be a scramble appearance coming. The, the league was a, I got to be honest, Scott, the league was a weak, weak performance for me this week. Um, you know, I got, got paired with Sandy bags this week and, uh, I, I am now at this point was playing with zero strokes. I was playing straight up. Uh, and I, I shot a 41 on nine holes. I just, every bad break that could have gone my way. Uh, it did. I, I lipped out putts. I struck the ball beautifully. It was just one of those days where things weren't going your way. Uh, then, you know, I had the, the chance to go to Houston this weekend. I was my baby. My wife uh, had a baby shower thrown by my mom. So my dad and I go out to um, Bay Forest, which is where we played district when I was in high school. And I made four birdies. I birdied three of the five par fives. I'm even par coming to 17. And I put the foot on the gas. I've never gotten under par. And in my mind, I'm like, to do, oh, to do it on the district course, this could be the day. And I blow my drive up on 18, down the right side, into the water, make double. 70, 71 in my mind becomes 74. And uh, it was it was a frustrating end, but it was fun to get back and play um, a course that I had, had really competed hard at you know, 15 years ago. So to, to kind of start off this story here on the Golfathon, uh, since you mentioned Bay Forest, Bay Forest is actually the place where I had my best round that I ever had. And I was probably maybe 15, 14, 15 years old. I went out there and I threw down a 73. I had six birdies, a 73. 
I mean, I think I birdied every damn par five out there. And, and, you know, in 10 and 11, you know, at least, you know, back in those days, it was reachable. They still are. You know, I went, for, I went well, birdie, birdie on 10 well, and 11. Well, well, for, for me, I was I went with, this is going to piss you off, Scott. I hit them both with, I hit, I hit seven on two with an iron and I hit 10 and two with an iron and I uh, was pin high in 11 with an iron. Oh, that's so, my second shot. So I go out to the golfathon, and and Friday's round is always stroke play. It's all, and so basically the way we run it is we flight people into an A and B flight, and you're just going straight net, you know. So I'm walking into the golfathon with a hang 20- on, hang on, real quick. Are we are we holding every putt? Are there give what what, what are, let me give this and this is for your golfathon. So what are the rules of this stroke play event? What's the gimme range? Are we playing OB as lateral hazards? Let's give everyone a fair assessment here. Oh yeah, no the the rules of golf, you know, USGA rules are are, are a mere suggestion. Um, we're 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 giving any putt within the leather, but you know that's you know obviously you know we're not measuring. I mean, you're just you know kind of ah that's good you know whatever. Uh, yeah, any lost ball, any OB is lateral hazard because we just want to make think make things quicker is the idea uh double par is your friend um so you can't go any beyond double par and so i'm running out there with a 27 handicap and that's based on what i've done out there at the golfathon i shoot an 82 net i did not come in last the person who came in last was one of the other two people on my team so my team, we're running three-man teams Friday. We were not only DAL, and I'll know. Do you know what DAL stands for? I'm going to assume dead ass last. That would be correct. We were not only dead ass last. We were like dead ass last by like maybe 15 strokes on Friday, right? So I shot a 109 for those of y'all that want to, you know. So. And every year I've gone to the golf thon in recent years, I've contemplated quitting the game of golf because it's just, it's gotten rough. Um, so Saturday's round is what we call, I don't know if it's a shamble or ramble, depending on, you know, what you're, you're, you're calling, but the rules are everybody hits their drive. You pick the best drive and then everybody plays their ball in from there. And we take the top two net scores on the hole. So everybody gets like a certain number of strokes per hole based on, you know, what's handicap. Like, so for my 27, I'm getting two strokes on the nine hardest holes in a golf course. Now I pounded the table when I was doing the scores, cause I'm in charge of doing the scores. We came in ninth out of 10 teams and I'm pounding the table. I'm, I'm feeling good. I mean, we, we did not come in, in last. So we had a new guy come in. Our a golfer leaves. We have a new golfer come in on Sunday, and this was the challenge I gave to Tim. Bogey is your friend. Par 71. What do you think we shot? 85. Damn, you, you don't think much of our talent. Um, we No, we shot a smooth 80. Oh, my God. And so, no, I'm standing on the 16th tee, and I'm like, hey, guys, 
if we par out, we could shoot a 79. We're on the fringe. We're on the front fringe. We got like a 60-footer. Not only do we three-putt the thing, we don't get anywhere close. And so basically, here's what happened over the course of the day. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a Caddyshack fan, right, Tim? You've seen the movie Caddyshack? So our replacement, he has the Billy Baru. He has a putter with a hickory wood shaft. Now, here's the funny thing. It doesn't matter where we are in the anywhere around the green. He could be 30 yards off the green. He's pulling out the Billy Baru. And he is going to putt that thing. He could putt it through rough. I mean, he, the only thing he's not going to do is putt it through a bunker. But, I mean, if he's got a clear shot the green. So, basically, here's what happened in the round. If I wasn't chipping it close. Remember, I'm a 27 handicap. If I wasn't chipping it close, we weren't getting it close. We were absolutely grinding our ass off, Tim, to get to an 80. I mean, on one of the holes, we're out there 160 out. I pull out my, and I was stupid, but, I, you know, if I were playing the hole myself, I would have just laid up. But I'm pulling out, you know. 60? Yeah, for 160 because I can't get the ball airport. Oh. And I got to clear water. And so I got out a, a uh, I got out my utility club, came about a foot short of clearing that water. My shot was the best shot. The best shot. So we're all wet. I mean, we're lying three, hitting four. And I'm like, guys, you know, if we don't hold this sucker out, we're done. Because <laughs> bogey's the you know, worst score. My second, my, my shot from that point is the best shot. And I'm like 10 yards behind the green. I mean, if we had forced to play that thing out, I mean, we would have had to hustle our ass off to get a six. Scott, you're really forcing my hand on coming to play with you next year. Because what's going to be the reaction when you win the whole thing next year? And they're going to say that you brought in a ringer and you cheated and all that. Because I got to be honest with you, I've never in my life shot above par in a scramble. I've never finished outside the top five in the last like 15 years of a scramble. So you're really kind of nudging me at that. You need a little help. And I, I think helps on the way. Okay. Here's the problem, Tim. Um, the problem is, is that my, my uncle who now runs it, he has, he has refused to allow me to set up teams. He doesn't allow me to set up teams anymore. And, and, and what bothers me is that, and we do, and and I set it up fairly. I do a snake, you know, the best A golfer is with the worst B golfer and so on and so forth. So, you know, I set it up fairly, but the thing is, is I adjust teams when I look at it, because the thing is, when you looked at our team, there wasn't a guy there. None of us can hit the ball 200 yards. Now, the our A golfer on Saturday, he played one hell of a round. I mean, he's got 79, you know, after we're choosing best drive and considering that none of us could bomb it. I mean, his 79 is probably pretty close to, you know, what a, you know, what a, he would have shot. But the thing is, is that it wasn't really a much of a help to us because I, I just flat, I can't flat out. Now, and this is the problem that we had is that it got wet because we had a lot of rain. 
and we had a lot of wind. And my golf game, if you put me on a course, like a Lynx style course, I can break 90. If you give me a place I can get roll, or I can roll up to a green, I can roll out the fairway. But if you stick me on a golf course where I have to carry hazards, I'm, I'm done. You know, stick a fork in me. So, you know, where we wanted to go, because and I know we have some people who maybe are not great at golf or just wanting to pick up the game. And so what do you want to talk about? And we're going to use me as a customer, but you know, I want to talk in general about golf equipment and basically, you know, where we're going. Because what I've realized is that the player that I once was, I need to throw a funeral, you know, and, and just, you know, say a eulogy. I don't know that guy's coming back, but I can become something better than what I am now. I'm just, you know, when, when I, you know, I can sit there and say, when I played golf, when I was Tim's age, Tim's age, I, I bombed it. I was a high ball hitter. I could, you know, I, I could, you know, hit a wedge over a tree. I could do, you know, I could do all these things that I simply can't do right now and probably will never be able to do. And so the very first opening salvo, I want to say for the people who are listening to this and thinking, okay, what, where do I go in terms of golf clubs? What do I do? And the first thing is that you have to be honest about who you are as a golfer. The thing is you're going to get a lot of people go like, well, I got the same clubs that John Rom got. Well, do you swing it like John Rom? Most amateurs, no. So why are you buying his equipment? Thing is, you need to buy equipment that's going to fit your game, fit your swing, you know, fit your body type, but also fit your budget. Because, you know, to me, if you're, you know, if you're playing four or five times a year, you know, why are you spending thousand, fifteen hundred bucks for golf clubs? Doesn't make any sense. So we're going to throw, I'm going to, I'm going to be the, uh, the client here. And we'll let Tim, you know, kind of fit me out here where, where he thinks I should go. Well, I, I think first and foremost, Scott, one of the things you mentioned was you had reached out to Curated, which is, it's a fantastic company. They do a great job, but they're going to offer you new clubs. So you went through their, <coughs> pardon me, their fitting, quote unquote, fitting process, because it's all a question and answer based process. And they, they pointed you in the direction of um, a, a new brand of clubs. You know, one that I don't disagree with, but I know that brand of clubs for the ones that they suggested to you were $800. And that's just for the irons. Uh, then we're going to look at the fact that you probably need a different driver, probably need a different three wood, and probably something to go in between that three wood and where the iron set takes over. So some sort of hybrid five wood utility club. Uh, probably going to have to regap the wedges as well, since that newer set's going to be lofted differently than any wedges you've had previously. So now, wed nowadays, wedges are about 150 bucks a pop, brand new. You can at least need two of those. So that's 300 bucks. All of a sudden, you're at $1,500 for this brand new set of golf clubs. Um, I am a giant proponent of used golf clubs. Every single club in my bag, uh, other than my my driver, I bought just the head, brand new. But my irons were bought used. My uh, driving iron was bought used. My hybrid was bought used. 
I'm still playing. I just put a 2005 Cleveland Launcher 5 wood into my bag that I snagged for 25 bucks the other day because I was mad that I ever sold that club. So what we're going to do, Scott, is we're going to look at some affordable used clubs uh, that I think would benefit your game. Uh, first and foremost, I think we're going to start with the driver. I want to find something for you with a with a, a higher loft because one of the things that you've mentioned is that you have had some trouble getting the ball in the air. So one of the benefits of technology nowadays, things the move the um pardon me the, the center of gravity is moved and we can get some higher lofted golf clubs that we didn't used to get. So what we're going to do is we're going to put you into a Callaway Epic Max driver, regular flex, 12-degree graphite, uh, right now on eBay for about $150, okay? So all of a sudden, we're at $150 for a, a driver that came out in 2021, top of the line, Callaway. Uh, if we want to go a little bit older, we one that... <clears throat> pardon me, will stand the test of time. You could run this club over with a tank if you wanted to. Uh, the Ping GSFT 12-degree driver. You could literally drop a Ping club off the Empire State Building. As long as you didn't hit somebody's skull, that thing's going to be good to go. Pings last forever. That Ping is going for 140 bucks. But again, the thing that we're looking for is a 12-degree of loft and a regular flex that's going to kick at a high point to get the ball up into the air. Uh, next, we're going to look at some sort of high launch or some sort of iron that's going to help get the ball uh, in the air. For me, I would like to find you uh, a set of Mizuno JPX 850s. I found one for my dad. I got his set for $90. Um, I don't think we'll be able to find those for you because that was just an unbelievably good deal. But... Here we go. JPX 850 iron set, five to pitching wedge, graphite saf. Currently, the bid is at $71 on eBay. These clubs are designed to help get the ball up into the air, and they have a pretty large cavity and center of gravity in the back. Uh, I have a set in my garage as my backup set for when people come to visit. Mine are in a regular uh, steel flex shift. I'm uh, sorry, stiff flex steel, but... Um, for you, Scott, I would put you in a graphite regular, again, with the point of it kicking to help get the ball into the air, something with a bigger cavity. Uh, I don't think you would be happy looking over uh, a set of hybrid irons, but we let's say we wanted to look at um, some hybrid irons, because I know that's what Curated recommended for you was the Cleveland hybrid irons. So we can take a look at those here. But there's some older models, again, where we come back and look into it. Um, you know, the Cleveland High Bore, uh, three through pitching wedge, graphite flat, graphite flex, regular, um, $250 for a full set, three through pitching wedge. So, again, somewhere around 2 to 250 is what we're going to spend uh, on those irons. Then we're going to look at uh, some wedges. We're going to... Probably try and get you into something in a ping. Um, again, just helping you get the ball up into the air. So we're going to look at a ping glide wedge, uh, which is one that's going to help you, uh, again, get that ball up into the air. We're looking at about $35, $40 per wedge. Uh, we can get a used set of all three wedges, 50 56 60 
uh, for about $75. So there we go, Scott. That's kind of what I've got for you as far as driver, irons, and wedges. Uh, I'm not going to touch your putter. I'm not sure if you need that touched. Um, and I think three wood, I wouldn't even put a three wood in your bag. I'd probably do a, a four wood, something like 17 degrees with a regular flex um, fairway wood. There's some good Titleist models um, or some good um, tailor-made models that have come out um, that could be good fits for you in that price range. Um, or, you know, even here's a Callaway XR 17 degree for $60. Here's a Cleveland, I mean, a Titleist 917, 913, 17 degree for $60. So I think all in all, we could get you reset for about 500 bucks, uh, which is a lot cheaper than what you would spend if you went to get fit and get brand new clubs right off the rack. Yeah, I do have a tailor-made four wood. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I don't hit it. Um, because I, I just, yeah, I don't know why, you know, but here's, here's where, you know, the guy who was talking to me at Curated, his name was Ryan, um, I actually told him about the podcast. So I might've got us a, a new listener, uh, you know, for the effort. He was a perfectly nice guy. And so his advice was for a driver, 12 degrees. His advice was absolutely whatever irons I got to have graphite shafts in them. So that, that would, you know, make life easier to get the ball up in the air. So, so far, y'all's advice in terms of like what style of equipment syncing up, you know, so that's a good thing. And that's, you know, and, and main thing is for, you know, for those of y'all who are unique to golf, new to golf, like, a, you know, like I said, number one, in, admit where you are. Um, and that's, you know, and that's the hardest thing that I've had to do is where I've had to sit there and admit, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to be 20 anymore. I'm not going to even be 30 anymore. Um, but what can I do? Where, you know, where can I go? And, you know, what I've noticed is that I can still play. Like you, you stick me at, let's say I'm like Mad Creek or Southwick. I can break 90. Uh, because I still chip the ball pretty well. Um, I have good and bad days with the putter. Uh, I use a long john. So, you know, that, that kind of, uh, helps with the yips a little bit. Um, but the big deal is you're, is that you're a broom guy. You're brooming it. I'm brooming it. Um, oh I, man. I tried a conventional putter last year at the golf thon Yeah. And I was, I was a basket case. Are you I mean, anchoring it? I was, I was doing all kinds no, of with the broom. Are you anchoring the putter? That's against the rules, Scott. No, no, I'm, I didn't. No, 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 no. I'm going to have to call the golfathon rules no. officials and call no. it in. I saw it on TV. No. Scott was anchoring. No, no anchoring. I was not anchoring. No, with the, uh, with the, the conventional putter, I was doing kind of a modified claw and that still wasn't, you know, that still wasn't doing it. It was just, it was rough. I still remember uh, my brother, my brother showed up one day. Uh, with a Bettinardi, one of like the 38 inch dual balance, the ones that you uh, arm lock putter. And uh, some other guys we got paired randomly with us. And I was joking with them. I said, think about how bad of a putter that he is, that he's willing to go spend his own money on that putter. Like on tour, when you have a bad putting day, Bettinardi will send one to you for you to play around with. 
Nah, my brother went and bought a $500 Bettinardi because his putting was so freaking bad. Oh, that's rough. You know, the guy that we played with on Saturday, you know, his story is kind of interesting. I mean, he's um, he was coming in with a 13 handicap. He had actually had an injury where his uh, his pinky and his ring finger could not move. He couldn't move them. And so he'd actually designed this device, which is technically illegal, where he'd basically Velcroed his hand to the club um, just so he could be able to swing it. And all the people in his group are like, yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> go ahead, you know, we're, you, you know, you don't, don't worry about it. Um, so, you know, the, the things that people, you know, that people go through in order to get things done, and that's kind of the thing. And, and are you trying to justify your anchoring of the putter because that guy had a Velcro? I did not anchor. I did not putt well enough for anybody to follow me. <laughs> um, so that, that was you know, kind of a misnomer, but my goodness, you know, and, and, I, and, and I was really, I was grinding for most of that weekend. The thing is, is that I don't do, I mean, outside of that shot on the scramble, I mean, I'm thinking my way around the golf course, you know, and doing, you know, the best I can to shave strokes here and there. It just, you know, striking the ball was just, it it was, it was rough. And I really, I really think some subtle equipment changes, some shaft changes. uh, And I think you're fighting to break 90 a lot more consistently, Scott, because you have, the ability to think your way around a golf course that a lot of golfers don't have. If we added 20 yards of carry back into your game, uh, I, I think you're a completely different golfer. So I'm, I'm personally going to keep an eye out for uh, a 12 degree um, regular flex driver. When I, I like to make my way around the used club stores. My wife doesn't like that. I do that, but I can't help it. Uh, and I, I have, I collect golf clubs. So if I see a 12 degree driver, we're going to, you might be having a package show up on your door. Ah, yes. All right. So I think we've kind of fixed my golf concerns. So we were going to do this last week, but, you know, we, we, Tim and I both had some life events that got in the way of us recording. Uh, we talked about that on the political show. Um, but basically, you know, our children are having end of the year events and, and I'm doing that this week with our daughter with choir. So, you know, these things happen and, and you're not going to miss those events. So we did not get a chance to talk about the NFL draft and your Houston Texans. Um, I was actually working the event for Battle Red Blog, 100 bucks to basically live uh, live cover the draft, every draft pick in the first round. So I was there for every minute of this. So, and I know we texted back and forth, but why don't you share with the audience, what were you thinking after that first half hour when the Texans come away with two guys in the top three? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. At first, when we went Stroud, my immediate reaction was negative. I, I didn't like that pick as a standalone you're taking Stroud at two. Then immediately, as I'm bemoaning that pick, the screen lights up. Texans have made a trade back to three, and my mood changed like that because I wanted Will Anderson. Just listening to the way that D'Amico had talked about Will Anderson, uh, I 
I think this is a guy who's going to be special on this defense. So I, at that point, I knew we we're going back up to get Will. Um, and and to me, I think the Texans played the first round about as well as you could possibly play it. As a fan, I was ecstatic. Uh, I know a lot of people had some negative things to say about the amount of draft capital that the Texans gave up to go get that pick. But after hearing a lot of the afterthoughts, I thought Casario played it beautifully by making sure that he took C.J. Stroud first at number two uh, to eliminate some of the people who were considering to trade up uh, for that third spot to get the quarterback. Okay, take that quarterback off the board. Now the price has come down a little bit. Let me go get my guy that D'Amico wants. Now everybody's happy. Let's go out and go. Uh, And then I've seen a lot of analysis too. The edge rusher position is a lot weaker in next year's draft. So, yeah, you gave up a first-round pick next year. You were not going to get the edge rusher you wanted most likely in that draft next year. If you wanted that guy, this was the guy, go out and get him. You know, we've talked all this time about using those draft capital bullets to go get your guy. You know, I thought maybe it was Caleb Williams next year, but the Texans had a guy they wanted on defense this year, and they they went and got him. So I, I commend the aggressive move uh, from Casario there to go get his guy and, and to do it in a way that it actually cost you less draft capital than it would have if you went Will Anderson at two and C.J. Stroud at three. If you look at next year's draft and you look at next year's uh, season, I think there are three or four teams that are setting themselves up to be potential number one overall picks. You know, I think if you look at the Vegas board, the Arizona Cardinals are – easily the favorite to be the worst team in football. And I think a lot of that is surrounding the fact that Kyler Murray is not going to be ready for the start of the season. So they're going to go with, you know, my guy's going to get some run. Hopefully you yeah, you got a combination of Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon, two, uh, two Texas boys. I think uh, Clayton beats his ass out for that job, Scott. I really do. I'd hope so. Um, and, and, and you never know what you get in him, but, the thing is, is that, yeah, you, you they're, they look bad. I think the Washington Commanders look like they're going to be this set of awful. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just might be an ever-loving disaster. And, you know, they set themselves up for that. You know, they, they rolled the, the dice on Tom Brady. They got three years out of them. You know, good for them. They got a Super Bowl. Um, they got what they wanted. But, and, and here, but here's my point. Let's say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers – finish, we'll just say, 3-14 and 14, or 2-15. and 15. They have the number one overall pick. Are they trading that pick out, or are they picking Caleb Williams? No, absolutely. They're, they're taking Caleb Williams, and they're, they're telling everybody to F off as they call for it. The, the, the only scenario that you could hope for as a fan trying to get into that Caleb Williams sweet stake is one like what happened with the Bears this year, where you drafted your quarterback of the future last year, you need to believe in them, and you're going to let it run. But even in that case, I see it playing more like the Cardinals when they had uh, when they drafted Murray. They took Josh Rosen in the first round the year before. They quickly moved on from Josh Rosen, and they went with with Kyla Murray because he was such a quote unquote superior prospect. I, I don't think anyone, period, regardless of what your quarterback position is, is is, is going to is going to take a trade in that position. This is. A, it, if, if you could get Pat Mahomes, why don't you go get Pat Mahomes? Well, here he is, right? This is what that guy's supposed to be. No one's passing that up. 
So here's a, here's my point on this is I you know when you grade out CJ Stroud as a prospect and and then there are you know there's just as many negatives as there are positives. I mean, uh, we still worry about the fact that he's coming from Ohio State and you haven't had an Ohio State quarterback, which include uh, the late uh, Dwayne Haskins, includes uh, Justin Fields. They haven't distinguished themselves in the pro game. Uh, and there are people who have, you know, sit there and say there are reasons for that based on what they're asked to do in Ohio State. Uh, you can definitely sit there and talk about the fact that, you know, they had more first rounders taken on the offensive side of the ball than any other college out there. So, you know, how much talent was he playing with over the last two years? I mean, that's fair. But when you compare him to next year's uh, quarterback class, you have Drake May, North Carolina. And you have a list of two or three other guys who are like, maybe? I mean, we're talking about the likes of, you know, is anybody really going to go hog wild or Spencer Rattler? Um, Is anybody going to really, you know, throw a bunch of, you know, draft picks at Quinn Ewers? Um, yeah, you know, Bo Nix, maybe I've heard, you know, you have the other guy from, uh, Penix, you know, from the Pacific Northwest. Okay. That's great. But Caleb Williams is the only guy in next year's draft class who is absolutely at Bryce Young's level or higher. I would say higher. Um, I saw that kid play in the Cotton Bowl. He is an absolute stud. You are not getting him no matter how badly you suck. And you're not going to suck that bad. So when Nick Casario trades his first round pick, I want you to think about this. Every thing we've looked at with the Texans over the last two years has been, please God suck badly so that we can get a high draft pick. We don't have the Texans draft pick next year anymore. Now all of a sudden we're going to be rooting for this team to win. And uh, I was listening to, you know, uh, Landry Locker is a local guy here. He has his own YouTube channel, and he mentioned a great point. He mentioned the point is, if you looked at the Texans down the stretch, they were not trying to win football games this last year because they wanted the first overall pick and apparently didn't want it bad enough. If you look at the Bears, the Bears were absolutely in the tank from November on. I mean, they were actively trying to lose games. So how many extra wins do you get next year when you're playing some teams in November and December who are like, yeah, okay, let's get a high draft picks. You don't have your, you don't have your draft pick anymore. So you're going to try to win those games. I think the Texans kind of sneak into that seven or eight win category based on two things. I think number one, they're trying to win. Number two, if you look at the last two years, I can walk you into six wins without changing personnel at all, just by having competent coaching. I'm not talking Vince Lombardi. I'm not talking even Marty Schottenheimer. I'm talking just league average coaching. I mean, the games that we, you know, they, that we played the Patriots in the Cully year where we're leading by like two touchdowns and somehow find a way to lose that game. When, you know, we're playing the Miami Dolphins and, and, they commit six turnovers and we find a way to lose that game. And then this past year, when you find a way to lose to Denver and Chicago, I mean, just put an average coach in there. I'm not even talking about the Cowboys game, which we, uh, we definitely should have won. 
if you had competent coaching at the end. Now talking about the Chiefs game, which, you know, you theoretically could have maybe pulled that one out with different coaching. I'm just talking about two games plus the Colts game in the beginning. Those three games, you go from three wins to six wins with crappy personnel, absolutely crappy personnel. Now all of a sudden we're talking about um, adding not only these two guys, but I know there's one guy you're really excited about, and I'm really excited about him too. So we'll go ahead. We'll, we'll start the next round. Who are some of the day two and three selections that you want to look out for? You know, there's going to be one I'm, I'm really, really excited for was, was Tank Dell, uh, Nathaniel Dell out of the University of Houston. I'd mentioned his name a few times. I thought you might have to sneak back into the end of the second round to get him. Um, but the Texans were able to make it happen with pick 69 overall at the beginning of the third round. So I thought that was um, a pretty fantastic pick. Uh, I'm, in, I'm intrigued for their second round pick as well. Juice Scruggs um, from uh, the, the line, the lineman that they picked up. Uh, I don't think he's going to play center. I think Penn he's going to move from Penn state. It was a, a lineman from Penn state. Correct. Yeah, he was. Um, he's played. He's played center and guard. Right. I think. I think he projects as a guard because of the center that they got from Notre Dame. Jarrett Patterson, I think, is going to come in, and I think he's going to compete to start day one. I, I'm surprised he fell to the sixth round. Um, I think that's a great pickup. Um, and and I think we'll get into some of the undrafted guys we signed too. But I, I think the Texans did a nice job there as well. I, I I look at this draft as a win. I mean, you can't do anything, and you can't make that full on assumption until um the season starts right but i i think we've brought in some spectacular players uh so basically i am on the same page with you on tank dell and here's what i love about the tank dell pick um cj stroud reportedly told nick casario go get that guy and what did casario do he went and got him. And and what I love about Tank Dell, I don't care where you're playing college football. I don't care if you're playing at the Citadel. I don't play care if you're playing in the SEC. When you put up 17 touchdowns, that's just ridiculously stupid. I mean, those are just flat out, you know, he's putting up nearly 30 touchdowns over a two-year period. I mean, this guy... And it could have been more, because he was not the return man last year. Brandon Jones was the return man last year, and he was fantastic returning for the Patriots this year. Dell returned for one year for the Cougars. And he, I, I, we have a, a, an offensive coordinator that's coming over from San Francisco. I see Nathaniel Dell playing a similar role to what Debo Samuels does, just getting the ball in his hands in space. I don't think we're going to see as many just straight-up runs from the backfield because he doesn't have the meat on him that Debo does. But the end-arounds, the screens, the way that they just get the ball to Debo to let him create in space, that's going to be something you see a lot of with Tank. So the other guy that I like, and and what I loved about the draft, and and we have no idea about these guys, right? But what I loved about the draft is basically what are we doing? And we talked about this from the very get-go. You're getting guys that produced in college because there is nothing that chaps my ass more than like when you pick like a few years ago, we talked about Nico Collins and the first thing you get with Nico Collins is an excuse about why he didn't produce. 
It's the very first thing you hear. Well, he would have produced if blah, 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 blah. No. Tank Dell over 100 receptions. I don't care what kind of offense you're playing in. Everybody who they played, they knew the ball was going to Tank Dell. They absolutely knew the ball was going to Tank Dell. Could they stop it? No. And that's where I'm going to bring up the next guy, Xavier Hutchins, Iowa State. Yes, yes. He's, he's also over 100 catches. Everybody in the Big 12 knew absolutely that's the only place Iowa State can go with the football. Only place they can go. It goes to him. He's still getting it. Give me a guy who's productive over a guy that's unproductive every time. Will Anderson, as productive as any edge rusher in the NCAA. Two years running. C.J. Stroud. Uh, I would argue that Bryce Young is more productive, but that's the only one. Uh, C.J. Stroud certainly, you know, you can't argue with production. More productive. Um, and and all the other guys down the line, you mentioned um, you mentioned the lineman. I you know I liked uh, I liked the fact that we picked up Patterson. I don't know who the starting center is going to be, but what I do know is that they have three guys that are not named Quesenberry that could compete for that starting job. May the best man win. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's your second round pick. I don't care if it's your sixth man round pick. I don't care if it's the free agent they brought in from Miami. Don't care. But you now have a competition. You have a legitimate chance to see one of those guys step up and be your starting center. And the fact that both Patterson uh, and Scruggs both played center and guard. Hey, if Kenyon Green isn't cutting it, get his ass off, off the field. Let's put in somebody else in that spot. You know, let's go. Um, but I do, um, you mentioned, you know, some, some of the undrafted free agents. I noticed that we got, a. uh, you mentioned a, a running back, I think from Arizona. Um, I, you know, and that's the first few years that killed me about Nick Casario. If it were me, I would have signed five undrafted free agent running backs, three, five, four or five guys, give them all a shot. You keep your best one. Because why am I going to sit there and and have a you know aging Philip Lindsay, an aging God uh, David Johnson guy? I groan just mentioning him. Um, I mean, you you had you know all these thirty something running backs who are getting paid tons of money and don't do crap. Go get cheap guys. Give them all a shot. One of them's going to stick. And then there you go. And right now you already have with Devin Singletary and, you know, Damian Pierce, you already have your two main backs. All you need is a, a good third back. Undrafted free agent. There's no reason why one, you know, you couldn't find just one guy who sticks in that role. Yeah. And, and the Texans have, in the past, they cleaned up on undrafted free agents, right? You know, the A.J. Boyes, the Arian Fosters, um, you know, even like a, a Lestar Gene uh, to a lesser extent, I mean, the guy wasn't a star, but he started NFL games for a couple different seasons. So that's a found talent through the undrafted free agent market. I think they did a good job this year. The, the running back from is from Arizona State, Xavier Valade. I think he's going to be really, really nice. We picked up an edge rusher from LSU, Ollie Gay, um, who could make an impact. So, you know, undrafted guys are it's a roll of the dice, but we've seen what happens when they're successful. 
and we've seen what happens when we have a general manager who looks for those undrafted free agents. Uh, we had that in the past. And, you know, for whatever reason, the last couple of years, Casario, you could say it was Easterby. If, if that was the reason things were done differently, because it certainly, Scott, does seem like Casario is is kind of more guns, you know, guns drawn, free will and mad hatter GM right now than he was with Easter Bay in the building. So, um, you know, I will give him that benefit of the doubt because the moves look way different this year. I think we'll, and, and one of the radio guys today was brought up a great theory about um, CJ Stroud in particular, and he thinks that if you listen to the comments by both Casario and by D'Amico Ryans, that actually CJ Stroud was Ryan's pick because they said that Casario always wanted Anderson and the way that they were able to talk him into it is by saying, Hey, just get both. To me, there are people that complained about how much you gave up and I get it. That's, you know, if, if that picks a top five pick next year, that's, it's going to look bad. Get it. But the thing is, is that this team has never made any smart risk in a long time. They've made risk. I mean, Bill O'Brien traded two first rounders and, and God knows what else to get Laramie Tunsil. Uh, that was a risk. I don't think it was a smart one, but it was a risk. You know, he, he's going to sit there and say, uh, not only do I want to trade away the, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, but I want to get only a second round pick and this aging running back back. Yeah, that, that, that's a risk. Not a smart one. So, you know, this was a smart risk. Because to me, if Will Anderson ends up being anywhere close to, say, the person he was compared to was DeMarcus Ware. Would you take DeMarcus Ware right now? A young DeMarcus Ware? Yeah, absolutely. I would too. And if CJ Stroud was compared to Jared Goff, would you take Jared Goff right now? Uh, I guess. I don't know. That's a rough one. And when I first saw the name and I was like, but then when you look up his numbers, you know, he's, you know, been a pretty good quarterback. I think the thing is with, with Stroud and the thing is with any other quarterback who you picked up is that you can always find something you like about a guy or something you don't like about a guy. And so much is dependent on what you do with that quarterback. I looked up his, I did an article that actually dropped today for Battle Red Blog where I compared his prospect grades with every prospect grade I could find going back to 2014 because that's how far back NFL.com went. He's basically middle of the pack for a top 10 selection. So there are guys better. There's guys worse. I mean, the best grade you can find um Trevor Lawrence, 7.4. It's just absolutely stupid. I mean, Strauss is 6.7. Uh, Bryce Young, I think, is 6.82. And, you know, there's some guys hovering around 7. And, uh, so but- let, me, let me pose this question to you. Let's let's take out Trevor Lawrence's first year because Urban Meyer is a fucking moron. But let's say Stroud comes in and gives you what Trevor Lawrence did last year. That's a win, right? That's a big win. I'm rolling with it. So you know, here's my last question about the Texans because I know we, we, we've got some other stuff to talk about. So Vegas, I think after the draft, 
elevated us to 6.5 wins. There's some, there's some betting sites that have us at 6.5 wins. So are you going over or under? That's a tough one. That's that's Vegas is really good at their job, first of all. Um, but so let's look at the home games. Arizona Cardinals, that's probably going to be a win. They're trying to lose games. Saints, I don't know. Saints still don't really have a quarterback. Is it Jameis? They have Derek Carr. They got, no, you're right. I'm sorry. Saints have Derek Carr. That's a loss. Um, Bucks, maybe a win. I mean, they're they're rolling the dice on Baker. On Baker Mayfield in, in Tampa, so okay, let's say that's two wins. Cleveland toss up, we'll take it as a loss. We'll take it as a loss. Steelers will take as a loss. Indianapolis Colts at home. I'm going to take the win there. Depends on when we play them at home versus on the road. But Anthony Richardson versus C.J. Stroud. We'll see what happens. That's three. Jacksonville. I'll take the L at home there. Uh, Tennessee Titans. Uh, is it Levis or is it Tannehill? If it's Tannehill, I say loss. So that's three wins at home. On the road, Falcons should be a competitive game. Maybe four wins, maybe. Carolina, rookie quarterback as well. Maybe five. Baltimore's a no. Cincinnati's a no. Jets with Aaron Rodgers a no. Colts on the road. Okay, I'll take the Colts again. Let's say we sweep the Colts. That's six. And then Jacksonville, Tennessee again. So I think we win one of the two Tennessee games. So let's say seven overall. So that's right there. I, I think we're between six and seven wins. So I think six and a half is right on the money. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vegas, they, they, they're they going to set the number where it's going to make you, I mean, noodle it. You know, you don't know for sure. Here's the thing. but If I'm a betting man, I take the over. If I'm, I'm taking the over and here's why. I think you logically laid out who they should win and who they should lose to. I mean, I I think all those make sense. And if you're listening to this, this evening, the NFL is going to do an event that only they can do where they're going to do a primetime schedule release. Think about this. I was talking about with that my, with my wife. They've already turned the, the reading of names in the draft into a spectacle. Now we're just going to let you know the days at which you're playing games, and it's a prime time freaking event. I know because the only the the only thing that you're really you already know who you're playing and where you're playing them. The only thing you want to know is if you're Houston, what is our one prime time game? Yes. <laughs> when's our th- when's our Thursday night game? And, and I, you know, they may give us a second one if they want to sit there and say, "No, they won't." Do they want to do like Carolina and Houston have Bryce Young and CJ Stroud go against each other? You know, I, we're going to get one of the Indianapolis games is going to be a Thursday night prime time, and it's going to be the two rookie quarterbacks facing off, and it's going to be a rough game because it's see, probably going to be early in the season. But see, here's the thing, and and this is where I go back to what happened last season. If I had told you at the beginning of the season Denver was going to suck hard with Russell Wilson, would you have bet on that? No, absolutely not. So I think what happens, and, and, and if you would, if I would have told you that really we should have beaten the Cowboys, you wouldn't have bet on that either. I wouldn't have bet on it. But see, the thing is, is that that's where you know the NFL is such you know is such a different game than the other two professional sports because. 
in one year, you can turn things around. Any given Sunday, anything's going to happen. And so I think the Texans stumble into a win or two that you're not expecting. Um, and I, Yeah, that I, New Orleans game. I mean, we don't know what David Carr is going to do in New Orleans. I think very – that could be I, that, a similar scenario to what happened in Denver. Carr could not mesh well in New Orleans. I expect the Saints to win that division. But okay. I can't I can't bank on it because yeah. you're right. You don't know, you know, you I don't think know the Browns how, is another one. You know, Deshaun uh, was not good last year. Deshaun was um, not good. I think, you know, there is there is a chance, a very good chance, I think that the Texans finish second in, in the AFC South and the Browns finish last in the AFC North. And the Browns may even be a better football team and still finishing last because that division, you know, if you think if you think Pittsburgh's going to be better, you tell me if Pittsburgh's a better football team, you tell me who are the Browns definitely beating in that division? I think Pittsburgh fights for a wild card next year. I really do. Uh, I think Kenny Pickett's going to take a big, big step forward. So I think you're right on that one. Uh, Denver Broncos. As a as a home game, um, well, you remember they remember they got Cincinnati, who have been mm-hmm. in two consecutive AFC Championship games. Uh, is Cleveland beating them? Probably not. Uh, you've got Baltimore that just signed Lamar Jackson uh, long term, and you've got you know uh, Odell Beckham, and you've got a new offensive coordinator there. So, I'm intrigued for that offense because I think they've hampered Lamar Jackson. He threw the ball a ton at Louisville. So I'm intrigued to see what they do with a guy who's not just wanting to run Lamar to the ground. Because if they could keep him healthy, I think the Ravens destroy that division. But what's happened is Lamar gets run out of the ground and now you gotta play with, with backup quarterbacks and now all these other teams have a chance to win the division. So if you want to sit there and you want to look optimistically and say Baltimore's a better football team, which is possible. If you want to sit there and say Pittsburgh's better with Kenny Pickett and in the second year it's possible. Plus, they had a hell of a draft. I mean, they really did. So, where does Cleveland's wins come from within that division? Because, and that's where the Texans have that advantage. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if people realize this. The Texans were competent coaching away from a four and two record last year in the division. Um, I think Tennessee could very easily go in the tank. I very easily go in the tank. They had to cut some people. Um, and I don't know what Tannehill's got left. If you want to put in Manny's boy into the lineup, I, I don't know what, what he's got this year. Um, I mean, if, if, you- if, if Levis is playing, I think the Texans beat those, win those games against the Titans. Cause I think Stroud is going to be better than Levis. I think that's the big kicker. That's what I said when we were going through that. I said, if it's Tannehill, that means the things are rolling and the Titans are playing good football. But, but here's here's the Browns' home schedule. Or, like, here's the Browns' opponents, right? Ravens, Bengals, Steelers, I think we all agree they're losing those six games. Or at least they're going one and five, I feel like, out of those six. Cardinals win. Bears win. Jaguars, probably a loss, but it's at home. Jets, that's going to be a close one. Niners, I think they're losing. Titans. Again, it all depends on when it is and who's playing quarterback. Again, away, Ravens, Bengals, Steelers. Again, we're agreeing they're going one and five in division. Um, Broncos, Texans, Colts are their other three road games. So, And then Rams and Seahawks as well. So I think the Browns are in trouble next year. And, and, and I, think you're, I think the Texans 
have a better record than the Browns next year. I think that's the bet. I, yeah. I think that is the bet right there. Will the Texans have a better record than the Browns? And I think, yes, the Browns' schedule is tough. I think that there's holes in that roster. I think that there's going to be when you pay a quarterback as much as they did. And you're asking Deshaun Watson to do a lot, do a lot with a little. And he did it here in Houston, but they never won a title. Um, and we'll see what happens. But I, I think the Browns are a five-win team at best. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go there, but I think they, I think that the Texans and the Browns finish pretty close together. I think they're both around seven-win teams. When all all right, well, here's our night. first long bet of the podcast, Scott. Uh, you're taking the you're taking the Browns. I'm taking the Texans. We'll have to see uh, what we do. Whoever wins on this one, yeah, we'll see. But you know, the th- thing is, is that when you look at our division, I think Tennessee could very well be the Colts from last year. Because you think what happens to the Colts? The Colts lose Zachary Taylor. They're in the tank because Matt Ryan just wasn't good. So, what happens to the Titans if you take away Derrick Henry? Well, you tell me what happens. Yeah, they're they're nothing. They they have they have a quarterback who could not go out and win them football games without an effective run game. Well, and then they had a backup quarterback who they would literally not allow to throw the football. And Malik, yeah, Willis. what happened there? That is, they they you, everybody last year talked Malik Willis up that he could be the next great quarterback. And now he's already being replaced after one year. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, that, that's what's so hard about the quarterback position. And it, it's just a roll of the dice. I mean, he was basically picked right around the same time as uh, Clayton Toon or Hendon Hooker this year. And, you know, I agree with you. I think, you know, if I were, if I were the Cardinals, Clayton Toon would be my quarterback until Kyler Murray's back. And then, you know, what happens if, you know, Clayton Toon goes out there in the first four or five weeks and has like, say, 10 touchdowns and three interceptions? I mean, are you going to are you going to take him out of the lineup? I, I you know, geez. Um, but that's where I think the NFL season, that's why I'm betting the over on the Texans in terms of that six and a half bet, because I think you cannot underestimate the impact of competent coaching. And how much the last two years, I mean, uh, Levy Smith was within a decade of competence. David Culley, when they hired him, and I saw him at that opening press conference, I was like, what in the hell are we doing? What are we doing? Who is this guy? Yeah, that one was weird, especially though – what was frustrating for me is they win the first game, right, with Tyrod Taylor, and Cully comes in, and he gives a speech in the locker room. And I'm like, okay, maybe maybe we found something. You know, uh, the, the Ravens coach, Harbaugh, he was, a, he was a special teams coach before he got hired. And, man, was that a – that was a – his high watermark was that one win the first time of the season because he was dog shit after that. Yeah. Okay, so enough Texas talk. I am going to bring out breaking news, not for you, those of you listening, but for Tim right here. The Astros have beaten the Angels 3-1. to Woohoo! On the strength of a Martin Maldonado dinger. So, uh, before we get to our sports scumbags, what do you think of your hometown nine now? 
I'm still really scared. I'm really, really, really worried. And it was the thing that we talked about a couple weeks ago was not going to get another starter. Um, you know, banking on the depth that you have. Well, now, you know, Luis Garcia is getting TJ. It came out just a few hours ago that Orkidi's not going to be back till the All-Star break. <coughs> McCullers is just starting his bullpens. And we're relying on JP France and Brandon Belak. So I'm nervous. Um, I'm a little hopeful with, with Altuve ahead of schedule. Uh, Chaz is back. Michael should be Michael Brantley should be back. And with the rumors that he's been uh, preparing to play some first base, um, that's a, a good sign, I think, for the production at that position. Uh, and, and still being able to keep a guy like Corey Jolks on the team. Um, but realistically, I'm nervous, Scott. I Our bullpen has been a shell of what it was last year. Montero was garbage the other night. Stanek wasn't much better. And last um, Huh? Two nights in a row he was garbage. Yeah. I mean, but that's, to me, like it's so rare that a reliever is, is nails two years in a row. Um, or multiple years in a row, like relievers are are very trendy. You know, you look at like a Phil Maton last year versus this year. You know, guys figure something out, make a little adjustment. So I, I, I was nervous about the Montero deal when it happened. I think Neris has been good. I don't think Dusty goes to Neris in the right situations. Um, I mean, honestly, like, Dusty's been a problem. Dusty has not been great. Uh, his refusal to move a Brayu down the lineup consistently, his desire to never have two lefties back to back, like it's it's fucking asinine to me. Pardon my language; I've said a lot of f bombs today, but it's it's asinine to me that we can't put Tucker and Alvarez back to back in the lineup because they're both lefties. Forget it. What could you imagine the pictures Tucker would get to hit if he hit behind a Jordan? Like, I mean, what happened when Roger Maris was struggling in 1961? They moved him behind Mickey Mantle because – I'm sorry. They moved him in front of Mickey Mantle because they knew they would pitch to Roger Maris because they did not want to pitch to Mickey Mantle. Now, what happens if you put Jordan in front of Kyle Tucker? They're going to have to pitch to one of those two guys, but no. They're both lefties. Oh, my God. What if they brought a lefty out of the bullpen? They could face both of them, Scott. So here's the deal, right? Uh, let me – let me back up here. First of all, on Montero. Montero has been in the big leagues for uh, since 2014, off and on. Right? Off and on. One good season. He's had two years where he's had an ERA under four. Two. Uh, the first year was in 2016, I think, where he pitched 22 games. So he's had one season where his ERA was under four and he pitched in more than 22 games. That was last year. I don't need a slide roll. I don't need an Excel spreadsheet. I don't need SQL, uh, you know, powerful database to tell me that giving him a four-year contract for over $10 million a year was a dumb move. Knew it at the time. I mean, and so in the thing that you know, I'm not going to, I was thinking about, you know, having second guessers be my scumbag. Not going to go there. But the whole thing is, is that 
you and I, we have a recording of it. We can't deny it. We were on with Sean Bajani when all three of us were gushing over having Jose Abreu on this team. All three of us. We were doing it. So I can't sit there and go like, well, I knew he wasn't going to be it. You know, come on. I mean, who am I kidding? But I could tell you at the time that signing Montero was dumb. Now, Montero, I agree with you. Relievers aren't going to be good back-to-back. And, and they're going to have games. I mean, unless you're Mariano Rivera, you're going to have games within a season that just go poorly. And that game in Seattle was just so fluky. He gets two outs, gets a couple of infield hits, and then, you know, then the avalanche. Bregman uh, runs over Pena. Yeah, the, the 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 avalanche comes, then we put in Stanek, and it's like pouring gasoline on a fire, and it just, it all exploded to hell. Those things happen. Now, he blew it again last night, uh, if you're hearing this, Monday night. So, tonight, just so good news for people, uh, from about as eight innings, one run, 12 Ks, no walks. So he is now has a three and four record, but has a 238 ERA. If Valdez gives me a 238 ERA all year, taking it right now. No questions asked. And you get, you, know, you get Ryan Presley with, um, looks like a fairly clean inning. Yeah. Two strikeouts, ending pitch, no hits, no walks. So that's his fifth save on the season. He's down to a 3.14 ERA. That's that's fairly reasonable. Uh, you save your bullpen. So tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, whenever you face, you know, the uh, a weaker Angels pitcher because you had Otani going tonight, you've got pretty much your whole bullpen. So Wednesday night, if you're listening to this on Thursday, the Astros should be winning that game because you know they've got their whole bullpen and. Maybe they'll have Uncle Mike back. Uh, I don't know, but they've already gotten Chas McCormick back. So, where are we at? I don't understand it. Hang on. Where I'm at is why why are we using Montero so much? And this is the biggest problem I have with Dusty. I was perfectly prepared to let Montero walk because we have a guy by the name of Brian Abreu in the wings who could take on that role no problems at all. Brian Abreu has a 1-5-6 ERA this year across 17 games. There's no reason that we're, we're that we should be using anyone other than Abreu, Neris, and Presley in close games, and, as well as Maton. Maton gets you out of the jam and then start the clean inning with Abreu, Mon, uh, Abreu, Neris, and Presley. Those are the guys in your clutch. This is a playoff scenario. Those are the ones you go to. But he's still so stuck on what Montero did in the playoffs. It's the same thing that happened. With Maton last year, Maton was nails in the 2021 playoff run, so Dusty automatically, first guy of the pen, has to be Maton. Well, now this year, Montero was nails in the playoff run. Dusty, first guy out of the pen, has to be Montero. Montero can get us out of anything. And he's not. And it, it, I don't know what it is with Dusty that it takes him so long to make a change. He's got so much belief in his guys. But the numbers, we talked about analytics before. The numbers tell you right now, you've got to stop going to Montero in high-leverage situations. You've got to go to Neris, and you've got to go to Brian Abreu in those in those situations because Abreu's got a one five six, and Hector Neris, who I feel like has been pretty good, has got a one eight zero this year in 14 games. So why aren't we going to the guys with sub-2 ERAs more often? We're going to freaking Jesus Montero, 
Uh, not Jesus Montero. We're going to to Montero though, and 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 he's been bad. It's he's just not been he's not been good, and it just doesn't make any sense, Scott. So let me go back to your um, your comments about Alvarez and Tucker, right? I could I could give you a bunch of you know war, Babip. I could give you a bunch of crap. Forget about that. Forget about that. Let's set that aside. Who are the best offensive players on this team right now? Jordan and Kyle Tucker. So this is basic math. You want them hitting more than any other person. You want them to get four or five at-bats. You want them to get one more at-bat than all the other guys on your team. I mean, it's just basic. It's basic math. It's like a three-pointer versus a two-pointer in basketball. It's like, I don't have to sit there and go over a quick tutorial over how he has this OPI. You, you see it. If you're the John Q fan out there, you don't have to have numbers in front of you. You know that Jordan Alvarez is the best hitter on this team. You know it. You don't need anybody to tell you that. And, and when Jose Altuve comes back, he will still be the best hitter on your team. Now, Altuve, depending on what kind of a year he has, he and Tucker could be, you know, more or less on a level playing field. Maybe. I'm, I'm not going to bet on that because, you know, Tucker's younger, and I think, you know, he's already off to a better start than he has been in years. But this is easy. You bat them either two and three or three and four. That. I mean, because you want them coming up. Jose Abreu, okay, at, at this point right now, just looking at it, he is hitting 218. He is no home runs, and his walk rate is down to about 6 or 7%. So, you know, I want to, you know, quote my Adam Ant song from the 1980s where he said, don't drink, don't smoke, what do you do? So you don't get on base and you don't hit for power. What do you do? I'm on baseball reference right now. He's on base at 20, 272, and he's slugging 268. His OPS is 540. So what are we doing? You know, the, he's he's better than one of the regulars on your team, and that was before you know, this evening whenever he hit his first bomb of the year. So you maybe if you want to say Maldonado's better, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, at a – No, it's still not even close. Maldonado's <laughs> not even at 500 OPS. I, I, you know – you know, right now you've got to hit everybody above him. You got to hit Chaz McCormick above him. You got to hit Jake Myers above him when he's in the lineup. You got to hit Jolks above him when he's in the lineup. And when you look at those numbers, particularly not for Chaz, but if you look at Myers, Myers is not as good as I mean, right now he's hitting a smooth two fifty, and you know, not power numbers are okay on bases, okay. Uh, if you look at Jokes, Jokes still only has one walk on the season, so he's hitting 261. His OB, uh, OBP is like 268. Um, but they're still better than Abreu. So Abreu should be hitting 7th or 8th in this lineup. There's only one guy who definitely should be hitting below him, and I would hit Pena in front of him because Pena's got pop. You know, he, he strikes out a lot, but he's got pop. So, you know, what are yeah, we Pena's doing? second in the club in homers right now behind one behind Jordan. He's got six bombs. So, you know, I think Pena's Pena started slow. I think starting him in the leadoff position was a poor move by Dusty. I think 
coming into a second year after a big playoffs, asking that guy to lead off, Pena pressed. Pena pressed hard to start the year, but I think he's starting to settle into his own a little bit. Um, you know, Dubon got hurt tonight, so I think we're probably going to see Chaz leading off again tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried just because of the injuries that have come into this team. I, I think there's signs of life offensively. I, I I think you and I could put together a better lineup than Dusty, if I'm just being completely honest with you. I really think Dusty's lineups are a problem. But you know what? Fans have been saying that for three years now. No one's. I, I don't think anyone's been a fan of Dusty's lineup since he's been here. I think where we have to give Dusty credit is that I think uh, managing through a season, I think, is about two things. I think it's what about you? what you do on game day. You know, in terms of your lineups, managing your bullpen. And these are things that Dusty has gotten criticized years, years. But I think where Dusty is probably good is that he's just a good dude. And everybody that plays for him swears by him. And so I think he is great, you know, whenever, especially in 2020 in the aftermath of the scandal. I mean, he was a calming influence and he's just a guy that... It's just like, and, and what I've always appreciated about Dusty is that he's never thrown a player under the bus. I remember early on in Dusty's reign where they had a problem with Jordan running out, uh, running out ground balls. And he sat Jordan and everybody knew why he was sitting Jordan. But when he came out to the press, he, he made it up like he's dealing with some kind of an injury. He didn't throw him under the bus. And I think guys appreciate that. I think guys appreciate being treated like men. I think, but the thing is, everywhere Dusty's been, this has happened. He stayed one year too long. And the pitchers started breaking down. And and I don't know that Garcia's injury is because of Dusty. People are going to blame it on the WBC. People are going to blame it on just you know the amount of innings that I'm, they... I'm curious of the rule change if him having to change his delivery had any effect on it more than anything if a guy's pitched one way for years and now all of a sudden he's got to use a different motion um was his arm in a different slot in a different angle that's that's what I'm curious about I think that's possible I think what's probably likely is that it's a combination of things is that you're pitching multiple years I mean, Garcia's been up in the big leagues two years. Both those years, they're making World Series runs. We're pitching into November. Then you you ramp up quicker on the WBC than what's normal. Um, and then you start talking about changing delivery. You start talking about the pitch clock. You start talking about changing all these things up. And I think it's a combination of things. I don't think any one of those things would have done it. But I think because you look at the fact Verlander was on the shelf to start the year, he didn't pitch in a WBC, but he's been pitching in November, you know, every year except for his Tommy John year. And, you know, when uh, McCullers, obviously McCullers has been banged up. I just think that's going to be McCullers. I think you're just going to have to baby him, you know, pretty much for the rest of his career. I'm not counting on him for anything. If he gives me something, great but uh, i'm not counting on it i was i was encouraged by what jp france did um i've never been a brandon belak fan brandon belak gives up 10 hits in four and two-thirds innings that is an absolutely um 
a recipe for disaster. I mean, you, you, you keep throwing him out there and it, it's just going to be rough. I don't know. Do you bring up Force Whitley? I don't know. I would, I'm, except his ERA six. And, and I'm with you on Belak. He's the definition of a guy who's a, a, a decent AAA player at best. So if JP France can can limp us along. So here's my ultimate question. I'm happy. I, I'm excited for France. I think he showed some great stuff the other night. Here, here's my Here's my problem. To me, your farm system is at a point right now where you don't have a whole lot where you can give up. I mean, I think people are really excited about Drew Gilbert. He's on the come. Uh, they've just, you know, promoted him to Corpus Christi. He was hitting 360 in A ball, hitting the cover off the ball. Uh, maybe he's your center fielder as soon as next year. I don't know. But is there anybody out there? And we were texting about this this over the last couple of weeks. But is there anybody out there who changes the trajectory of this team to where you think, okay, now they're World Series contenders again? Yeah, or, for me, or, it was Cease. It was Dylan Cease. If you can go find a way to get him from the White Sox, that's the deal that you make. Or, you know, are most of the deals going to be just simply a Band-Aid? I mean, that's, that's kind of – because, you know, Lucas Giolito has got an ERA in the threes. Uh, he's a he's in his walk year. Does Chicago deal him? Maybe. Um, if you're looking at, you know, St. Louis, I, I don't see any pitchers on St. Louis. Um, but, you know, you maybe have Flaherty that they may, you know, give up or Miles Mikolos, but both those guys are off to horrible starts. Uh, Oakland has already sold off everybody, really. In Kansas City, I mean, Grinky wants to retire Royal. So, who are you getting from them on the mound? Now, if you were willing to play a different catcher, a Salvador Perez might intrigue me some. But we know Dusty. Dusty loves him, loves his machete. So you know we're we're stuck there. I think that's the problem: is that all the places where you would normally upgrade, you can't. Like, if you're going to sit there and say, we need a third baseman, are you replacing Alex Bregman? If you sit there and say, we need a first baseman, I mean, can we knock off Jose Abreu and his $19.5 million a year? I just don't think so. So, basically, I think that's where we're at. And I think uh, we're kind of, you know, kind of winding down this show. Uh, So, I know... um, Tim has probably had somebody who is stuck in his uh, craw, but um, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to lead off and I'm going to kind of go in a similar place that I went, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm just going to go with my scumbag is Astros legend, Hall of Famer, first base on your roster, first base in your heart is Jeff Bagwell. Um, I can't really go against the, the Jose Abreu signing. I can't. Uh, you can't get me there. I was on board. Everybody who listens to this show has the receipts. You, you can't. Uh, you can't go back, and, and I can't go back and sit there and say, "Oh no, no, I knew this was gonna." No, and, and it still might work. He still might bounce around. But to me, Rafael Montero. My God, that was a you know, it's just a stupid contract on any number of levels. Okay, number one. Rafael Montero's had one good season that was last year. You don't pay a guy 
10 plus million dollars a year as a relief pitcher based on one good year. Just, you don't do it. And number two, and, you know, Tim made this comment, you know, earlier in the podcast is that, you know, relievers just from year to year, you know, so uh, fungible. I, when you look at guys over the course, you know, the last several years, I can just rattle off some names. Um, Araldus Chapman used to be the best, you know, pitcher, uh, relief pitcher in baseball. Sign up, the Yankees sign up to a long-term deal. They regret that. The Mets bring in Dylan Bettencents, probably the best uh, setup man, you know, most people had seen. He goes in the tank. He sucks. Um, I mean, you just want to look at Houston. In 2017, if you told me that Chris Davinsky was almost out of baseball back in 2017, I would have thought you were nuts. I said, this guy's, this guy's a stud. But relief pitchers just don't last. So I love Jeff Bagwell. Might be my favorite Astro of all time. But unfortunately, as a general manager in sort of waiting, he gets my scumbag award for the week for, you know, a Rafael Montero signing that everybody at the time knew was stupid. Okay, I know somebody's stuck in Tim's craw for the week. So where is Tim going with his sports scumbag? This one's going to be a little bit different, Scott. Um, I'm going back to golf. And it's kind of an interesting story because there was a college player uh, who actually, his name was Tommy Cool, sets a course record during U.S. Open qualifying. He's from the University of Illinois. Shoots 62. Um, it, unfortunately, he is approached after the round and, and someone says something, you know, how'd you manage to pull that off on aerated greens? And he immediately realized that he had tapped down some of the aeration spots throughout his round, repaired them as if they were ball marks. And so he had to go turn himself in to the USGA and he was disqualified. So a guy who sets the course record is disqualified from the US Open because he fixed the aerated green marks. My scumbag is the USGA. For number one, why the f- why is that a rule? Why can you not fix an aeration mark if it's in, in your line? You can fix a ball mark. You can fix anything else, but you can't fix an aeration mark. Number two, why are we playing a U.S. Open qualifier on aerated greens? It costs a lot of money to be able to try and go do this. It is as, a, as an amateur golfer, it is the hardest thing to do. To qualify to play in our nation's national championship. It is the most, as Tin Cup said, the most democratic of all golf tournaments. If you can play, you can get in. And we're going to allow aerated greens on a, on a qualifier? That changes everything. It ruins that qualifier. It, it, it's undemocratic to have someone who played bumper pool the best that day is the one who gets through. It's the USGA. You can see why a lot of professional golfers on the PJ Tour don't like the USGA because they do stupid shit like this. You're bringing back a painful memory. Um, did you ever play in the HGA match play? No, I never qualified. Okay, so I played, but I didn't qualify. 
and we were playing at Bear Creek. Um, you know, the best, I can't remember the name of the course, but it's the, you know, the top line course, right? Right. So you, you played that first 18 holes and then they take the best 25, right? I think right. I played that first 18. I never got taken on to the second one. Here, this is what pissed me off, right? So I, I uh, right now I, I'm saying T to green. I am at my peak. I mean, I am, I remember, you know, I hit a drive on a hole where this guy said, nice 900-yard drive, you know, because I just absolutely bombed the hell out of it. Outdrove everybody by like 20, 30 yards, right? I think I hit eight or nine greens in regulation. Do you know what I want to know what I shot? I'm going to guess it's in the 80s, by the way you're telling the story. Nope. It was like a 95. Because I had like 47 or 46 putts. You know why I had 46 or 47 putts? Because they sanded the fucking greens. It was so, they were oh so over sanded. You know how like, you know, most courses you've had sanded greens, you could still putt them. This is like, they're like, they looked like a bunker. I had a guy in my group who was chipping on the green every time he got on the green. I'm just like, you know, come on, what in the fuck are we doing? Come on, I mean, this isn't, now, I could sit there, and I could sit there and, and go with, you know, sports cliche, well, everybody had to play under the same conditions. And with the USGA, and I'm sure that's what they would sit there and say, yeah, everybody had to play under the same conditions. Okay, here's the point. Zach Cady shoots a 62. Was he the best player on that course that day? Yeah. So what, what the hell are we doing? I mean, it's not like he's like, you know, shooting a ball out of a cannon or, you know, just kind of like, oh, hey, look over there and kind of dropping the ball in the hole or some stupid shit like that. I mean, he's, he's, he's improving the conditions in front of his ball. What are we doing? I mean, this is just, I mean, this is crazy. Um, and, and we're getting deprived because if, if a guy get, can shoot a 62, yeah, sure, that course they're playing is not nearly going to be as tough as the play where they're playing U.S. Open. Yeah, we know that. Guy shoots a 62, I mean, he could easily shoot 68, 70 on a U.S. Open course. And we're being deprived of, you know, maybe a great player who's on the come. And, and that, yeah. I didn't even know that was a rule. Actually, I didn't know that she couldn't. Uh, I didn't either. I, I, I don't know. I, I'd never heard of that. I mean, he self turned him. He turned himself in. It was like he was talking to one of his fellow teammates because it was played at uh, the course for like his college place. So he he knew it very well. He was talking to his teammates and like, hey, how'd you shoot that on aerated greens? And his face just went white. At that point, he realized what he had done. And yeah, I just I'm with you. I didn't know that was a rule. I've never heard of that rule. Um, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But yeah, USGA this week. Um, they're my scumbags for, like you said, taking away what would have been a really cool golf story. You know, the, the US Open is all about telling stories for those first couple of days. You see the, the teaching PGA pro who qualified. You see the college kid who qualified. I mean, people love seeing the, the kid Bennett from A&M and the Masters. They love the amateurs. So now you're you're taking away an amateur. It's just, it's sad. I get it. The rules are the rules. I mean, you, the rules are the rules, but but that shouldn't be a rule. 
All right, so we're we're, we're kind of going down to the end, but I want to you know say a special shout out to our Snaphook listeners. And hey, if you're thinking about you know upgrading your golf game, you know reach out to Tim. You know maybe you I know, love go, helping people. You know, I love helping people find golf clubs. I am dead serious. If you want to upgrade your clubs, please do reach out to me. It'll it'll make my wife so much happier if I'm finding clubs for somebody else instead of buying more clubs for myself. Well, more of the point, and this is why I liked curated, you know, because, um, and I, and I told the guy, you know, Ryan, I, I said we were going to mention curated and he, he said he was fine with that. You know, he's, they're trying to sell something, but the whole thing is that if you use it as, I'm going to use this as information that I'm going to use going forward. I think it's, you know, I think, you know, Tim's absolutely right. Paying $15,000, $2,000 for a full set of clubs is just, is silly. Um, I mean, especially, I mean, unless you're playing three, four, five times a week, it just, it doesn't make much sense. But, Scott, you know, as a guy who plays three times a week, it still doesn't make much sense. I, I got my Mizuno irons, basically brand new in a wrapper, a model old for 500 bucks. So, but you know, I guess my point is, is that the advice he gave me is pretty much the same advice that Tim gave me in terms of what type of club I needed to be in. And so that's, you know, and I'm a big believer in that. If you hear the same thing, it's kind of the same thing with doctors, right? If you go get a second or third opinion and all three doctors are telling you the same thing, it's probably probably need to listen to that. And so in this case, if I go to two or three different swing doctors or club doctors and they're all telling me the same thing, well, you know, probably need to pay attention to that. And so now I can be on the hunt for some of those deals where I'm not paying fifteen to two thousand dollars. Maybe I'm paying more like five or six hundred bucks for the whole thing. And I've got a few clubs that, you know, I could probably, uh, that are portable. I've got a, you know, tailor-made four wood that I could maybe use. I've got, you know, my long John putter. Um, I've always liked my Cleveland sand wedge. Um, I've had it for years. Um, cause you know, to me, and, and this is probably, you know, maybe too old school thinking on my part, but I don't think anybody makes a better wedge than Cleveland does. Uh, There's still a lot of people who feel that way, Scott. There's a lot of Cleveland Wedge loyalists, and it's still the same way. There's a lot of people who won't play anything other than a Cleveland Wedge. I think the one I had, um, I had one of those. I can't remember the materials made out of, but basically it, it almost like it naturally rusted. I can't remember what that that, uh, that substance is called, but uh, it kind of made it softer. Um, Isn't it beryllium copper? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's that's the ticket. Can't um, use that anymore because of the mercury that's in it. Well, I, I don't have that club. Not you. I'm sorry, not use it. You can't. They can't make those clubs anymore because it was hazardous to the people who were making the clubs. Oh, I remember. Yeah, they they used to run these commercials all the time. That um, and they don't run them anymore. And I, and I this guy talking about you know buying clubs. My favorite was the two headed wedge. You know, the first the one the head you know, chops through the grass, the other one lifts the ball up and you see it go up on the green, the ball's been cut in half, says so how he sliced it. Um, the other one, he says, you know, or the guy's got, I got this titanium driver, he says, no, 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 that's not it. You use plutonium. 
<laughs> Everybody on the tee box is kind of just backing off. Like, I don't want to be anywhere near this thing. But, you know, uh, golf, you know, that's the thing, the great thing about equipment. But, you know, it, it's nuts. It's almost like models of cars. Instead of sitting there calling it the tailor-made, you know, this, that, or the other to say, this is our 2024 model. This is our 2025 model. It's like buying a car. And, and, and it's getting to the point where if you're paying full price, you're almost paying, you, you could buy a car for the amount of money that you're buying a driver for. A club, you're going to hit 14 times in a round. You know, if you hit it off the deck, maybe. I don't know. I, I, did you ever do that? Did you ever hit a driver off the deck? When I had some of the older models, I would. Like I had a 975J from Titleist that would hit off the deck. Uh, when I had a Cleveland launcher, I would. But as the heads got bigger and bigger, the faces got taller. Um, I mean, I also, like, I'm not trying to brag. I don't need driver off the deck. Like I was, I hit a terrible drive on, on the fifth par five at, at Bay Forest on Saturday. And I'm like 290 out. And I hit three wood over the back of the green. So for me, there's very rarely a situation where driver off the deck is the club because I got a really long three wood. It's This thing's a missile. It's a 13 and a half degree three wood that just goes. Um, now I was with some, you know, with some wind. I hit a big old draw with a draw wind, but still like I don't need driver off the deck like you used to when, you know, you were playing persimmon clubs and you and you needed that extra roll and you need that extra distance just with technology today there's there's really not a benefit to it i used it but you would be uh i did not use it in the way that you're thinking um when i used it when i hit a driver um uh, from i was never in the fairway uh so usually when you're sitting up high in the rough well no if i if i'm in the trees Oh, um, puncher. I could, well, I could count on two things happening with that driver. Number one, it's going to stay low. Yeah. And number two, for me, I could get a cut anytime I wanted. And so was, if I was in a situation where I needed to get about, you know, 100, 120 yards and just bend it a little bit, you know, the driver was actually a good play for me. I don't use it anymore for that purpose. I mean, right now I can punch a five iron you know, about do about the same thing, but yeah, you know, I mean, there was, there was a time, you know, and, but I never used it, you know, in order to like muscle up and try and, you know, get to a par five. I never, you know, um, I carried a two iron in high school for the exact same reason that you're talking about. I very rarely could take a rip at it in the fairway, but if I was in the trees, I can get 150 on a tight, low cut and just run that bad boy up there and hope for the best. So the totally get that. The funny thing is that, you know, and when now when I try and cut the ball, oddly enough, I channel Arnold Palmer. I even do the like the, the shake thing that he used to do, you know, and, and I could slice a ball guaranteed doing that. Um, it doesn't look good, but it does what I want it to. Uh, but anyway, we, we've been kind of talking around this for a while. We've kind of had our scumbags. Uh, so I want to thank so, the, the listeners so much. Uh, for joining us this week um, please you know like us on Facebook uh, say hello to us on Twitter uh, give us a comment or two hey you know if you you know if, I know we did have one comment uh, on Facebook this week uh, I won't say who it was you know if Tim wants to he can but you know she basically said hey Scott I, I can't understand you 
you know, you're, you're hard to understand. And lo and behold, we did a little, you know, troubleshooting at the beginning and, and Tim found the problem. So uh, we've hopefully fixed that issue. So if there's some issues on your end that you're hearing and you want to let us know, then, you know, kind of give us, you know, give us a jingle on the Facebook or on Twitter. Let us know, you know, what's going on. Or if you sit there and say, you know what, we'd love to hear you talk about this issue, either on the sports or political end, you know, please let us know. Uh, we want to hear from you. But Tim, get to that part of the show. Where can the folks find you? Yeah, as of now, you can find me on Twitter, Tim underscore Costello 10. Uh, again, I, I say as of now because not sure how long I'm going to last there. <laughs> it was announced today that Tucker Carlson is taking his act to Twitter for a live show. So uh, decisions like that, not sure how long I'll be there. But for now, you can catch me, Tim underscore Costello 10. Scott mentioned the Facebook page, the Snapbook podcast on Facebook. Uh, be sure to catch me there. And if you're a soccer fan and you are in the Dallas area, um, come give out, come give a try to the team I run, uh, Gaios FC. We have our opening night, May 19th. Uh, mention the snap hook. I'd love to see any of our listeners come out and support the team. I think it's going to be a really fun season. We've got some really fun things planned. We're giving away a car. Um, really a lot of cool stuff going on with, with that Gaios team. If you're, if you're a Camaro guy, uh, you got your chance to win a 92 rebuilt Camaro uh, this season by simply coming to a soccer game. You know, it would be a great idea for cross-promotion. Um, maybe you could do this. I don't know. Sit there and say, if you utter the password scumbag at the ticket, <laughs> o- at the ticket office, you could get a discount on your, on your ticket, maybe. You uh, know what I can do? I can, we can put coupon codes on the uh, on the website for tickets, and we can do one for scum. If you put scumbag, it's good for a free ticket. There you go. But yeah, you can find me at Esparza on Twitter, just like Tim. I don't know how much longer we'll be on there. Um, I don't spend nearly as much time uh, on there as I used to, but I'm always just looking to see if I have mentions. And so, if you tweet me, a I question, look for scumbags. I look for scumbags on Twitter at this point. That's mainly what my purpose of Twitter is. I do too, but you know, I. I occasionally get people who ask me fantasy baseball questions because I used to write for a fantasy baseball site. So I'm always on the lookout for mentions. So if you mention me, uh, I will definitely get on there and I will take a look and, you know, we'll, we'll see what we, what we find. Uh, I also write for battle red blog, which is about your Houston Texans and write the occasional political piece for Juanita jeans, beauty salon. So, it's been a fantastic week. I know uh, Tim is going to be, if you're listening to this on a Thursday, he is going to be the main guy on a scramble team tomorrow. So we want to wish him luck. And maybe next week he'll tell us a few tales about what happened in that scramble round. Yeah. And one thing I can absolutely guarantee you, Scott, I, I don't know anybody else on my team. Uh, I posted in, a, in the Frisco Chamber of Commerce, I'm willing to play if anybody needs a ringer. We will not be over par. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely will make that guarantee right now. I don't know who else is on my team. You could give me my grandmother-in-law as one of the teammates. This team will be under par. Well, you know, Tim, I mean, your your handicap is, you know, if not zero, near zero. 
So, 1.6 right now. I don't see you shooting an 80 by yourself. So I'm pretty, no. I'm pretty certain that you're not going to be shooting an 80 in a scramble. I, I, I'm, I will confidently take the under on that one. <laughs> yeah, if, if we don't break par, something's gotten terribly wrong. Like you should find me in a hospital in a wheelchair because I got injured halfway through that round. I, you know what? That's the first scramble round I've never, I've never been over par either. I've always been under par until that time. I just uh, can't. Was it a miserable day? It was. Well, you know, and we were, man, we were. Crazy. No, I mean, like fun. Like, were you having fun? Like, I'm not trying to be mean, but I just feel like if I'm in a scramble and there's an eight in my score, I feel like I would have had a miserable, miserable day out there. Oh yeah, it was rough. We 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 bogeyed three of the first four holes, and by that time, but you know, they're nice guys, so I, I can't complain about the company. Uh, Speaking of nice guys, and. and I'm going to throw one more, I don't want to use this term scumbag, but we're going to throw one more category of guy into the the scumbag thing today. And this is the guy who who doesn't want to be left out on a golf excursion, so he just shows up to play anyway. Doesn't play golf, doesn't have his own clubs, doesn't really know the rules, He's just out there to have a good time and hang out. I got no time for that guy, Scott. I've I've been paired with that guy twice now, and I'm done with it. I'm absolutely done with it. The lack of awareness, not knowing where your ball's going. I let the guy use my backup set of clubs. I get my cl- I get my bag back, and the clubs are haphazardly put into into the wrong sections of the bag. So then I make a big deal out of putting the clubs back into the right sections they go in. And he's like, oh, I, I didn't know they went in special sections. I should have paid attention to that. Well, no shit, man. We're going to use somebody else's clubs. Take a look at how they're positioned in the bag and put them back in the bag that way. But, you know, a, a secondary, a light scumbag for for that guy who just wants to tag along and have a good time in, in, on the day of golf. My uncle has been desperate to expand the golf-a-thon. So he, he asked me like three different times, hey, Scott, is your buddy coming? I said, well, you know, you can't come this year. Maybe next year. We'll see. But, you know, he wanted to get he wanted to get up to 32 people. It was originally eight. So there's some people at the golf thought I'm like, I don't know you. I don't even know who knows you. I wonder if somebody just kind of picked you up underneath a freeway bridge on the way here. I, I You know, I don't know. But yeah, that's what kills me. Like if somebody's using your clubs, it's like, look at the bag. I don't know about your bag, but my bag is one of those that has designed like 14 different slots. My backup club bag is a ping hoofer. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, still, I've got all the head covered clubs, including including putter at the top, and then long irons, short irons, wedges. Sure, yeah. It's pretty standard. Yeah, I, I used to have a bag like that. Now, mine, mine, I, I got one of those. You know, my daughter and my wife bought it for me, and, it, and this is like shoot back when you were, um, when you were at Saint Bernadette's, because I remember I, I got it on the way back from a retreat. Um, so it's lasted a long time. It's an OGO bag. Fourteen. 14- I just bought. I just bought an OGO. I bought a Woody a Woody OGO bag. Uh, it's. Fantastic. I bought my first cart bag and it's it's committing to a guy who committing to being a cart rider and buying the cart bag. Fantastic. Okay. So quick tip on, on the Ojo bags. Um, 
one of the things I discovered over time is that my golf balls got miscolored because um, there was some stuff that was rubbing off on them from inside the bag. And so what I did was, you know, I washed them with bleach, you know, so I got them as white, you know, as I possibly could. And I've gotten like the Ziploc freezer bags and I put the golf balls in the freezer bags and then put them in the pocket. And that way they're not, you know, they're not losing their color because, you know, there's, there's nothing, you know, worse when you look at a ball that looks dingy and you know, it's not, but it just kind of looks, you know, you, you want the look of a clean golf ball. Oh, absolutely. Uh, nothing like a brand new white ball. And so, yeah. So with the OGO bag, that's the only negative that I've found. <laughs> so just be careful, be on the lookout, make sure your balls aren't, you know, losing their color uh, inside yeah. those bags. No one likes dirty balls. <laughs> I love the double entendre there here at the end of this. I episode. don't know what you're talking. Don't know what you're talking about there, but no. Um, I I actually started keeping less golf balls in my bag. Um, I used to be a big. I'd have thirty freaking bat, thirty freaking balls in my bag, uh, and now I I've really started trying to keep it to like six or eight balls in the bag, uh, and then I've got a golf caddy in my car that I have like more golf balls if I need to put more in, I'll put them in, but. Um, I feel I, I'm more confident in myself when I have fewer balls in the bag. I don't need to reach in. Oh, it's a bad ball day. Let me pull out a Kirkland instead of a Pro V. Uh, stop thinking about that stuff. So, hope, you know, luckily my balls aren't getting too discolored in there. And hey, if if you find I I got my Ogio bag still brand new. Uh, it's like ten year old model from Played Against Sports for fifty bucks. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't beat the price on it. So. Yeah, quality bag at a quality price. It's a good bag, and mine has, like I said, the 14 slots. And so if the, if he was playing out of my bag and he put it in the wrong slot and it's like, okay, dumbass, there is one empty slot in this bag. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> if, empty slot. if you could have seen this bag, Scott, when, you, when I got it back from this guy, the amount of mud hanging off these irons – uh, you know, the, at least he kept the head covers on, but just the way that he put it back in the bag, like, I, I just can't understand being that oblivious to like the way a golf bag set up. Like why? I, I just, I didn't get it. I was, my dad just started laughing when he saw my face as I started rearranging the clubs and, and he just started cracking up. But um, yeah, if you're not a golfer, don't force yourself to a golf outing just because that's what the other guys are doing. Don't do that. Or, you know, let's be strategic. You know, maybe we just ride in the cart and drink beer. Well, or, you know, hey, can we go out on a Tuesday or a Wednesday? You know, when the Saturday. When the golf course is empty. Because there's nothing worse. And we this happened to us on Friday, and this was part of our round. Our, we we played nearly a five hour round because they decided to put us behind a fivesome. And it's just like all day long. It's like Good Lord. And we're a threesome. You know, we're playing threesomes. It's like, come on, what are we doing? You know, and, and, and I, I could blame my 109 on that. I'm not going to because, you know. No, uh, please, please do. This is a good – I hate slow play too, Scott. That's the reason I shot a 41 last week is because of slow play. So, please feel free. I, I'm going to go, and I mentioned this term to you on the, uh, on the chat line. Uh, my problem is a loft problem. And uh, do you remember what loft stands for? I don't know. Lack of fucking talent. Mm. <laughs> that's that's a, a, that is a problem. That's that a big a, one. That's a big. Well, and the problem is I used to have the talent. That's what makes it so painful. Yeah. Because, you know, there's nothing worse 
than the memory of I used to be good at this. Yeah. What the hell happened? It's it's tough. We were playing we were playing at Bay Forest this weekend. There was a guy out there throwing darts with one hand. I mean, this guy was playing one handed golf, and I looked at my dad. And I said, how does it feel to know that this guy's out here whooping your ass with just one arm? (laughs) Was it, you know, what are you going to do? This guy clearly was a better golfer than my dad will ever be. And he was missing an appendage. So sometimes you got to rub it in a little bit. But I think that's all the time we've got this week. Uh, It's been, it's been a blast, Scott. Um, Some of it's been at your expense this week with your, uh, with your golf trip, but you hyped it up so much. We had to. We had to really get in there and break it down. Hey, I, I enjoy being a part of it. You got to have fun on the golf course, no matter what you're doing. Yeah, even if someone joins your round and you didn't really want to play with them, you still got to find a way to have fun. So, um, to all the people out there who get stuck with someone they don't want to play with, this episode was for you. That's going to do it here for us today, though. We appreciate everybody who joined us, um, and we look forward to being back here next week. Hopefully, I've got a good, successful scramble story playing the league Thursday night, playing scramble Friday. Um, should be a good bit of golf here coming up. But we'll go hopefully find Scott, that new driver. I'm going to keep checking out the old Goodwill, the Play It Again Sports, Lose Golf, Club Finders. We'll find him what he's looking for uh, and get him a little bit further down the fairway. But if you want to get further down the fairway, reach out to me. I'll help you. I would love doing that kind of stuff. I'd love to help out our listeners. But again, that's all we've got for you today. We appreciate everybody who joined us here on the Snap Hook, and we will see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook.